November 12th, 1955, that was when. November 12th, 1955, that was the date I went back. That was the date of the famous Hill Valley lightning storm. You know your history. Very good. Hi, I'm Kasim Gaines, author of We Don't Need Roads, the making of the Back to the Future trilogy. Hi, I'm Jason Aaron, director of the brand new Back to the Future documentary, Back in Time, and you are tuned in with Dehydrate Level 4. Hi, this is Marty McFly, and you're listening to Hydrate Level 4. Boy, oh boy, Mom, you sure know how to hydrate a good podcast. Welcome to Hydrate Level 4. I'm your host, Peter. And I'm your co-host, Phoenix. And today we are discussing the comedy adventure Back to the Future 3. Came out in 1990, directed by Robert Zemeckis. Starring Michael J. Fox, Christopher Lloyd, Mary Steenburgen, Thomas F. Wilson, and Leah Thompson. Stranded in 1955 after a freak burst of lightning, Marty must travel to 1885 to rescue Doc Brown from a premature end. Surviving an Indian attack and unfriendly townsfolk, Marty finds Doc Brown the blacksmith. But with the Doc under the spell of the charming Claire Clayton, it's up to Marty to get them out of the Wild West and back to the future. Alright, let's get it. Okay, Back to the Future Part 3. Uh, Phoenix, what's your history with this movie? Um, Pretty much all the other movies, or the same as the other uh, parts of the trilogy, except this one probably not as seen as well as uh, 2 or 1. You've um, seen this one the least? Yeah, I've seen this one the least. Okay. Um, so this one, it picks up right after the second movie. Um, the, I do remember watching this in the movie theater, and I still watch it pretty often, but... Uh, kind of got to agree with you that this is probably one of my um, uh, least watched of the three, but the only reason that is is because you know there's there's three movies. I'm not going to watch all three all at once each time. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But you know we'll definitely get into our thoughts at the end of the movie. This particular installation, I have been known to uh, to kind of tell people that I kind of I kind of see this as. Uh, you know, Doc's story, which a lot of people do, but I compare it to Karate Kid Part 2, where it's about Mr. Miyagi, you know, where they go to Okinawa, and it's mainly about him and not so much um, Daniel LaRusso. Uh, do you kind of agree with that? Uh, yeah, it's a very great comparison, actually. Um, you know, it focuses on the teacher, yeah, with Mr. Miyagi and Doc Brown, yeah. Yeah, so kind of the same thing, uh, except for, you know, Doc's not from the Old West, uh, but, you know, it, it takes place in a different era. It's almost a period movie, except for, obviously, we know that it involves time travel. But because it takes place in 1885, people kind of consider it a Western. But, I mean, aside from the time traveling aspect, would you consider this a Western? No, I would not. Um, the date's really too far or too close to, you know, the 1900s. An old Western would be like... I want to say even past 1700s, but that feels like way too far. Yeah, that's like pilgrims and, <laughs> and Indians. Because like You're what I'm about the Patriot or something. I'm thinking about the Proclamation Land, which is like 1776, but I don't know. Yeah, what 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 could they had done, or what could they had done differently to make this more of a Western? You think? Um, because you know they got shootouts and duels. 
saloons. I mean, it does seem like a Western. It's just the year seems really close to us. Yeah, a little too modern for you is is what you're saying. Mm. Okay. Um, okay, so yeah, let's get into it. The The movie starts off with a, a panning shot of inside Doc's house, right? We we never really got this um, this shot, right, of this particular room? No, I don't think so. Yeah, Doc's passed out. You know, this is after Marty, uh, you know, picks him up off the ground from fainting uh, in part two, takes him to his house, and he wakes up to... Um, uh, I don't know if it's an alarm, not an alarm clock. He wakes up to a, a program on TV, the Howdy Doody show. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with that show at all? Not at all. Well, it's a definitely a show uh, from the 50s. But my thing is, like, is is it just white noise until the program actually starts? You know what I'm talking about? I think maybe Doc set it up like how the TV was set up in the first movie. Um, except that I think that was left on. But um, maybe Doc just set it an alarm time so he can watch Howdy Doody in the morning or something. Could be. I, I've always kind of wondered that as a kid, you know, because the TV is on. Well, who turned it on? You know, uh, per- perhaps Marty fell asleep, you know, with the TV on. And then it's just there, there's no uh, programming in the middle of the night. I'm not sure. And then Howdy Doody is like the first thing that plays or something. Mm-hmm. So that's always something that I've kind of uh, kind of questioned. But um, Doc wakes up from fainting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, so he wakes up from that, and he thinks that it was all a dream because, you know, he remembers sending Marty uh, Marty B back to the future. Marty A happens to be in the same room with him. Why do you think he doesn't even notice Marty in the room? Like, Marty's up and walking around, you know, grabbing the letter that uh, 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 Doc A, you know, wrote him. Hang on, I, I got confused with the A's and B's. Oh, um, uh, <laughs> a, a is our, our prime people, you know, like from 1985. Okay. And then B would be, you know, their older selves or, Younger the, selves. The, or the ones that it's not the main focus of. So here we have Marty A, Marty, or uh, Doc B. Uh, That's a good question because I didn't, I didn't clarify. Okay. But. Um, I guess, yeah, I don't know. I guess uh, timeline A, timeline B. So wrapped up in his own thoughts, maybe. Yeah, it... This this is something that kind of happens, but it, a little nitpicky. But so uh, Doc realizes that there there is indeed another Marty there because he was recording like some uh, you know some notes down in his uh, voice memo. So uh, you know, his little recorder there. But what we find out here is that uh, you know Marty tells him, "Hey, you sent me a letter." You know, um, I need your help to get back to 1885. So we get this, you know, scene where Doc B, you know, is reading the letter and he's going to help him get back uh, to the Old West. And in the letter, Doc A mentions that he left the DeLorean, you know, uh, buried in a cave near a cemetery or something like that. Um, So we jump to a, I guess, a movie theater. It must be or or a drive-in, I guess. Um, I remember this scene in the movie theater when it first showed the DeLorean with those 1955 uh, hubcaps. Mm-hmm. Um, it got a pretty good chuckle. Did you find that kind of kind of silly looking, yeah, kind of comical? Mm-hmm. I thought that was kind of cool, but I wonder what the um, that you know that that board on top of the hood with all the you know gadgetry. I wonder what that what that's supposed to do. What do you think? I'm not entirely sure myself. It just you know what I'm talking about, right? That thing strapped onto the hood. Onto the DeLorean. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not exactly. You're not sure which which part I'm talking about. Yeah. The uh, on top of the DeLorean, there's like some kind of uh, I don't want to call it a motherboard, but it's got like all these kind of um, uh, 
uh, circuitry. I don't. Let me see. I'm trying to find an image here. Yeah, I can't seem to find one. Yeah, it's it's right up there on top of the hood, st strapped by some cables. It, oh, okay. Yeah, I I always kind of wonder what that is, uh, because you know, there's, I don't know, maybe uh, some of the circuits on the inside, you know, maybe short circuited over the years, and that is to compensate for power or something. Oh, okay, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think? It, do you maybe think it's that... something to power up the DeLorean, because how did they find the 1.21 gigawatts? Well, actually, no, this is Mr. Fusion now. Oh, it's Mr. Fusion, this, okay. Yeah, this this particular, this version of the DeLorean has the Mr. Fusion, so okay. uh, I think that's where they got that. It, actually, that's a very good question. Um, Wait. So, yeah. Is it? Are you sure? Where, where, where did this DeLorean come from? This DeLorean is the one that Doc got struck lightning with, with the hover conversion, so that's the Mr. Same Fusion. One? Yeah. So because because okay. Doc gets uh, sent back to eighteen eighty five. Oh, okay, and they this find is, the one. Okay, that makes sense. That yeah, makes so sense. they had to go find that in the cave. So this is the one with Mister Fusion, the one that was just sent back to the future. You know, the uh, timeline B that does not yet have the Mister Fusion. That's why that was uh you know with the clock tower and the lightning. This is also when they find Emmett's grave, right? Yeah, yeah. This okay. this is before. Uh actually no. I I did jump ahead. Yeah. So uh they yeah, they found the DeLorean in the in the caves. Did you wonder why there were no tires on the car? No, I didn't. Well, no, not really. But now that I bring that up, do now, you kind now of that question? You bring that up. Um I'm going to say That's actually a very valid question. The rubber would uh, kind of disintegrate over over time. Oh, so that's why yeah, the, the there's no um, tires. But also, when you're gonna store something like that for long periods of time, you gotta drain out all the liquids and such. So um, to keep it from like rusting on the inside or just kind of going bad, you know. Mm -hmm. So so while they are recovering the Delorean from the cemetery, uh, Einz, no C Copernicus. Copernicus. He uh, is found over by a tombstone, which Marty finds out to be Doc Brown's. Uh, what do you think about that scene? It, if you can even try to go back to like your earliest thoughts of seeing Doc Brown's tombstone. I was confused because I was like, "Wait, there's Doc Brown right there," and then I, you know, you know, I'll put two and two together. Oh, this must be from the Wild West. And then I thought, "Well, he must have had a good, long, happy life." Yeah, I, I always thought this was uh, pretty eerie. And because this is the second tombstone we've seen of a character, but this is this is a guy that we've um, you know been a big part in you know the first two movies because the the first tombstone we see is George McFly's in the second one, which he had a very little role in 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 the second movie, so it was really really weird to to see Doc Brown's tombstone because now you're like okay what is going on, so they go to the library to do a little be uh, a little bit of research. And it's crazy because now they, uh, upon researching, they find like an old picture of Doc Brown standing in front of the clock tower before it was completely uh, built. And to me, oh, we also find out that the Browns came from, was it Germany? The Von Braun Bronze? Yeah. Yeah. So I always kind of wondered, like, I, I don't know how often people kind of go through these books, but wouldn't somebody kind of see that and be like, you know, this... Doc Brown, this mad scientist, looks a lot like this other Doc Brown who looks to be a little bit older in the picture. Like, well, you, you ever... know, if, if that was the case, they would they would probably think the same with Mad Dog Beaver Tannen or, Mar or Marty and Seamus McFly. You know, they kind of 
they all kind of just look alike. Yeah, that that's a good point. They would have thought that he was just an ancestor. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, okay, yeah, good idea. Um, okay, so back to the the drive-in. What do you think of uh, the clothes that Doc Brown put him in? That's oh, all pink and red and stuff. It just did not look good. See, the funny thing is, I don't remember a lot of the westerns from that time, but I'm trying to think if they were really that colorful. Nope, I don't yeah. remember any westerns that colorful. Like my name yeah. is nobody. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Well, but those, those didn't take, those weren't filmed around that time though. Those were a little bit later, like 60s and 70s. The spaghetti western. Uh huh. Yeah, so that was post, you know, the 50s. So I wonder. The westerns in the fifties; those were probably black and white, so you really couldn't tell. Well, if if, if I were Marty, though, um, well, he you, should know. Yeah, he right? should know. <laughs> well, he did make some comments. He's like, "Look, you know, Clint Eastwood's never worn anything like this, you know." So, so we kind of see. Um, it, it's it's funny too because like Marty, Marty seems to really like his Nikes that he wears, mm-hmm. because if you remember back from part two, he's got the cool lacing, yeah, uh, self lacing shoes which he wears temporarily, but it switches back to his regular shoes while still in 2015. And same thing here, like he doesn't even want to break in the boots, you know. Uh, he he just wants to wear his, his Nikes, but I I think that's just to kind of pay off later on, you know, to just to make a, a off joke with one of like Buford's um, goons. What are those? What? Nothing. Oh, uh, what uh, what uh, what are those? Nikkei, <laughs> some type of uh, Nikkei. Yeah, I forget the quote. So. In the scene, Marty is very concerned about driving straight into the the driving wall, where it, it shows like a bunch of uh, Native Americans on horses. And he mentions the Doc, like, "Look, you know, once I travel into the future, I'm going to run into those Indians." And Doc says, "Oh, you're you're not thinking fourth dimensionally. You know, those Indians won't even be there." So, what do you think about how when Marty does travel back to 18, uh, 1885, he almost does run into a pack of Indians? Oh, no, that was hilarious. Yeah, that was pretty funny. Yeah. You, you didn't think that was a little too coincidental? or No. I, I think it was definitely played for laughs, obviously, but I, I was kind of like, wait, okay, does this play back to Doc being like... I think if they didn't, if they didn't, or if Doc didn't say anything to Marty about it and they just, you know, played it in the movie, it would have been much better. Yeah. Okay, so one of the things I didn't uh, didn't mention was on that tombstone we find out that uh, Doc was killed over a matter of eighty dollars. Uh, shot by did, did it say it was shot by Buford Tannen? Shot by Mad Dog Tannen. Okay, and that says it on the on, on the tombstone. Yeah. Okay. No, no, not on the. To- I don't think it was on. The, I don't think it was on the tombstone because that would that would be too much. Yeah. Mm, yeah, I kind of forget the, already. The shot for eighty dollars. That's in the newspaper. Okay. Okay. So, but but they do mention Clara in there. They mention Clara on the tombstone. On the tombstone. Yeah. They say, um, in loving memory of Emmett Brown. Beloved Clara. Beloved Clara, yeah. Okay, so we, we learned that there's a, a Clara that, that's kind of involved here, which obviously 1955, Doc, you know, he has no idea who this is. So Marty is uh, now in 1885, and uh, while when he drove towards these uh, pack of Indians one of them shot an arrow into uh, his gas line so the gas has leaked and now the DeLorean is won't be able to run because you know now he needs gasoline so he has to leave the the DeLorean back in the cave and then he gets chased by a bear so he runs and then he falls down the hill he he gets hurt a lot doesn't he Mm -hmm. you know he gets hit by a car in the first movie the second movie uh, he gets clubbed in the head and then this one he falls down a hill 
And so he, he falls down and uh, you know knocks his head out on a uh, on a fence. And then we come to find uh, some gentleman helps him out who looks just like him. And who's this guy? Seamus McFly. And what relation does he have to Marty? Great grandfather. Isn't it great great grandfather? Isn't William his gr- grandfather? William is his. Because I think William is George's dad. Right, 1885, William's just now born, so another 30 years. No, William is George's grandpa. Oh, okay, so great-great-great-grandfather would be Seamus. Great, wait, 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 let me think about this, okay. While so, you're thinking of that, Seamus is also Marty Marty's uh, middle name, which I don't think we find out until the animated series, actually, which I'll kind of do a shameless plug now i do the back to the future animated series podcast with alvy from the quantum leap podcast you can find that on itunes and stitcher all right did you do great the math? great great grandpa okay and that's what i said so three greats three greats all right but fourth generation i think great 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 <laughs> you know for us asians we don't have all these greats we just uh call them like grandpa and you just do the math yourself i guess <laughs> Okay, so while Marty is there, he uh, you know hangs out with the McFlies and goes under the the name um, Clint Eastwood. Now, what do you think about this scene where you know we get the uh, you know the the replay of what happened in one and two where Marty wakes up? Calvin Klein. Yeah, the Calvin Klein scene. The uh, he plays himself in 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 part two, but then the third one as Clint Eastwood. But you know where he wakes up and it's this is Maggie McFly who has clearly has an Irish accent. And uh, Marty's supposed to believe that that's his mom. Like, what, what do you what do you think about that? Well, you know, Marty just recovered from taking a pretty bad tumble. He might not fully know what he's hearing. Yeah. Okay. So, question B: What do you think about Maggie looking like a Baines? Do you understand the question? That's a really good question. Yeah. Um. Well, maybe the Baines happened because uh. It's definitely a plot device. I'll throw that out now. It's because oh, we've always weird. we've always seen it as Lorraine anyway. Yeah. But if you think about it, why it is she? Yeah. yeah. Like, like perhaps this, this maybe this would be weirder. But what if it was like Jennifer Parker? You know, it just it wouldn't play the same because it's always been Leah Thompson playing that role. So that's why she's still playing this role. But I I don't know where I saw this. Um, I don't know if this was like a uh, something like Bob Gale mentioned or something, but. I have heard that sometimes the the men when they marry they typically get someone that kind of reminds them of their mom. So would you would you accept that as an answer? Like does does that kind of make sense at all? Yeah, yeah, I guess. But I mean, like psychologically, if you think about it, you know, if your mom was the nurturing type, you know, that's always taking care of you. As you get older, you kind of want to find like a, a woman with the same qualities. Right, and and maybe that's kind of what they were kind of playing up on. Like, uh, the McFlies, they tend to marry women that are very similar to the Baneses. But in th- in this sense, it's like the physical trait. Oh yeah, oh yeah, I guess so. But yeah, kind of weird. Now it's like uh, Michael J. Fox and Lorraine or uh, Maggie, <laughs> Leah Thompson, right, as Seamus and Maggie. So uh, something that they were trying not to do in part one, they they finally hook up in part three as different characters. So. Yeah, uh, that was always kind of silly. So, yeah, while he's at the McFly farm, he meets his great-great-grandfather, William. Great-great-great... Ah, uh, cred. 
The three greats was Seamus. Three greats was Seamus. Two greats, William. Yeah. So William, William's the first McFly to pee on him too. Um, what do you think about the? Well, I'd, I'd hope he is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what do you think about the McFlys, like Seamus and Maggie? Seamus uh, seems like a good man. Um, he's pretty nice. Um, what, what do you think of Michael J. Fox's uh, Irish accent? It wasn't too bad. You know, I didn't understand the concept of accents when I when this movie came out, right? So when this movie came out, I was seven, seven years old, and I went to go watch this in the movie theater. And when Seamus, you know, they're having dinner and you know, they're eating the rabbits and stuff with, with the dirty water, Seamus is like, you know, what are you doing out here with no boots or a hot? <laughs> and I was like, did he just say hot? Like, what is he talking about? So I never knew he meant hat for the longest time until I understood, like, the concept of even an Irish accent. So that's uh, that's me as a kid there. But um, what do you think of Maggie? Like, early on when I was younger, I always thought that she was kind of... I can't, I can't think of the word to say it. She, crude. Crude, yeah, I, I guess. Crude. Just, I don't know, she... You you kind of said it like Seamus seemed like a like a like a stand up kind of guy, and like Maggie seemed to have like had some kind of problem with Marty, and I feel that she was written that way just so that way Seamus can say you know I got a feeling about about this guy you know uh, William doesn't take kind to strangers yet Marty is able to pick up William just fine and he doesn't cry uh, I mean except for the peeing part but um, yeah so that's the McFlies. So Marty goes to Hill Valley, you know, kind of walks along the uh, the railroad path, and then we get to see Hill Valley in its infancy. Um, so what are some of your thoughts about seeing Hill Valley, and did you catch any of the things that was around town? Did you see any, like, companies or shops or anything like that that uh, was kind of familiar that, that to some of the other things you've seen in the other timelines? For example, I'll throw this one out, but, like, uh, the Jones Manure company or something i don't know what they're exactly oh, called yeah. but it's mm-hmm. the manure people has always been the joneses yeah I, I did see that they were carrying like a like it was like a horse held or um yeah it was like some a, kind of cart yeah a cart and then like not not a truck full of manure it was like a cart and yeah that that's probably the only one i could think of at the moment i want to say there was a like a statler um statler like horse horse I don't even know what like like a stable, a Statler stable or something. A Statler Toyota is the the lot that sold the the Toyota in part one. There's no mayor in Hill Valley at the moment, right? There, there. I want to say there is a mayor. Was he not at the um, at the at the dance? I think you're thinking of Marshall. Yeah, Marshall. Well, they mentioned that Marshall uh, Strickland was out of town. I want to say there was a mayor. Uh, wait, wait, wasn't the mayor the, the guy that came to see Doc Brown and tell him about Clara? I, th- I think, uh, yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, see, I think that was the mayor. Yeah, so he doesn't have a big role. But, um, yeah, Marty, you know, he goes to the saloon, and this is, you know, kind of, kind of mirrors the uh, the cafe, uh, Cafe 80s and Lou's Cafe from 1955. Uh, what are your thoughts about the, the saloon and maybe some of the patrons that he kind of runs into yeah, he he orders water, which is pretty funny. See, uh, you remember watching the movie Rango, right? Uh, I I saw it just the one time when it came out. The uh, main character Johnny protagonist Depp. of the movie Johnny Depp uh, also ordered water in the bar, and everyone laughs at him. And in this movie, I see 
he or Marty ordered water in a bar and everyone laughed at him. I'm just curious, was water not popular back then? Well, you don't order water from a saloon. How come? Uh, because back in the day, it's it's all about alcohol and whiskey. Oh. Uh, well, alcohol, period. So, it's, yeah, it's just bottling water was not a thing. Uh, I, I couldn't even tell you when they started doing that. But, that, yeah, that's that's why you get laughed at because it's, um, I guess maybe they didn't think of, like, hydration was a thing. People were always just drunk. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I I haven't decided whether or not I'd let you watch this, but you know, I, don't, I don't think it's that bad. But um, A Million Ways to Die in the Old West. Oh, yeah, it seems like a really funny movie. Yeah, I, I think it's pretty funny. Obviously, a lot of people don't like it because they think it's stupid, but, I mean, it's supposed to be stupid. But um, Seth MacFarlane, who, I don't know if he wrote it, but, uh, you know, he stars in it. He probably wrote and directed it, but he's a huge fan of Back to the Future as well. And there's, um, it, it, it's kind of got a Back to the Future 3 feel. Obviously, it's got the, you know, the scene with Doc Brown in it that, that was thrown in there as a joke. But uh, I'd be curious to see if if you think it'd be like a like a decent companion piece to this. So we get the introduction of Buford Tannen, who walks in uh, the same way, you know, as any Tannens into any kind of saloon or or cafe, and he's like, you know, McFly, I, I told you never come. And then he doesn't even finish, but uh, you know, Marty turns around, and uh, Tannen realizes that he's not Seamus. So every McFly gets crap from the tannins like doesn't matter what timeline you go to uh, you're always going to get picked on and i guess having that hat <laughs> didn't help either and i thought whatever buford said was hilarious he goes uh you look like him though especially with that what is it that that dog duty hat or that sounds about right yeah it's just it's, it's a funny that line dumb duty hat yeah and then uh, I like I like how he's like, "What's your name, dude?" You know, and I, I was like, "Is was dude really around back then?" So I, I don't know if that was ad libbed or what, but it, dude just doesn't sound like a word that was used back then. Did, did that ever throw you off when you heard that? Maybe the doc used it. Doc using the word dude. It, maybe, maybe I don't know. Maybe some influences from Marty or something. Um, and I, I like the way, uh, Marty, like he answers it. He kind of tries to say it all slick. He's like Eastwood, Clint Eastwood. <laughs> it's like, what kind of stupid name is that? <laughs> so I thought that was really funny. That's, it, it's almost kind of like a joke, like in uh, Ronald Reagan, the actor, you know, from the first movie. So Tannen tells him to dance, kind of threatens him here, shoots at the ground. Then Marty does the moonwalk. Do you think it was really Michael J. Fox or like a, like a foot, foot double? Foot double. Um, it's probably Michael J. Fox. I think it's a foot double because you never see like his whole body. You know, it's always like the close up of the feet doing the moonwalk, and then when it shows like the upper torso, you know, it, you, who knows if uh, Michael J. Fox was actually even dancing? You know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I thought that was shot pretty funny. So we get the chase scene. You know, it's not the hoverboard, but it's on horses. So at this point, where would you actually? How about you just rank the chases? Um, you know, your least favorite to your favorite. Wait, what? Do you know? You want to tell everyone why the chase scene started in the third one? Um, the third one. So while he's doing the moonwalk, he does the little spin move and uh, uh, jumps on this one board that you know works as a like a what is a seesaw, right? Yeah, seesaw. Se- catapult. Se- yeah, seesaw catapults this a spittoon. 
you know, and it uh, lunges into Tan and he's now covered in saliva. So that that kind of uh, starts off the chase scene. Marty runs outside and gets chased by Tannen and his croonies on horses. I feel like, um, you know, the, the chase scenes should always be rated by what started it, how did it end, and yeah, yeah, what started it and how did it end. Mm, okay, I'd be curious to see how you rate them then. So, least favorite. Least favorite, I would have to go number three. Because while it is fun, it's not as... Iconic as the first, nor futuristic and memorable as the second because of the hoverboard. Okay. So, least favorite, third, second favorite, second movie, and then first movie is first place. So, first to first, second to second, third to third. So, Three, two, one. Three, two, one. So the 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 original is the best one, you think? Yeah, because it's you know it sets the whole iconic chase scene in the Back to the Future franchise. Yeah, if if you're thinking iconic, I, I would probably go three, one, two, because I I feel like a lot of people remember the the, the hoverboarding scene because everyone always wanted one. Mm-hmm. But if you, but from what you were just saying, the, how it starts and then kind of how it ends, I would almost go. Two, one, three, three being, and you know, you know, I don't want to say it, but three being the the best. You know, if you look at it in that sense, because how did three start? You know, three started off a little silly, but they're chasing him on a horse. Michael J. Fox almost, uh, either he almost or he did pass out from being hung, and that alone, uh, Marty McFly being hung on a rope in front of the clock tower that's not even built yet. Saved by Doc Brown from I don't know what the distance was, but shot with one bullet, you know. So the other two, well, how did the oh, okay? So the second one, the hoverboard, they crashed into the uh, clock tower. The first one, uh, a maneuver truck. Mm-hmm. So I think the stakes were a little bit higher with part three, where Marty McFly was about to get hung. So if you look at it in that sense, but yeah, as far as iconic, I go three, one, two. Mm-hmm. But what you said initially, you know, as far as like how it starts and how it ends, I think, I think three ends the the most like, kind of at I the know. edge of your seat kind of mm-hmm. thing. Like, oh crap, what's gonna happen? You know, how's he gonna get out of this? Because <laughs> Doc Brown's not gonna come on a hoverboard or get lowered by DeLorean to come save him. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, uh, so let's let's go to that. Doc Brown, wh- how do you think he looks? Because in the first movie, we see him in the radiation suit, and we see him. Uh, you know, wearing like that robe, the the iconic robe with the with the, the metallic headgear, and well, what else does he wear? Kind of kind of just the regular clothes. Cashmere sweater, or well, not cashmere, but that weird ugly sweater. And then in the second movie, he's known for his future clothes. You know, the 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 yellow clothes with the the red Chinese shirt. So, what do you think of his look now in 1885? He looks like a more humanoid version of Jeepers Creepers. Uh, never seen the movie. Mm. Yeah. He looks creepy. What the matter of $80 was. It was $5 for the whiskey, $75 for the horse who threw a shoe, which um, Doc Brown, um, you know, he's a blacksmith, so he put the shoe on the horse. And I guess uh, when the horse threw the shoe, Tannen fell off, shot the horse, <laughs> and broke the glass of whiskey. And so that's the matter of $80 that uh, Mad Dog says Doc, uh, Doc owes him. So they're... Did they come up, like, uh, how long 
Doc had to to pay him at this point, or how how did why did the tannins leave? Um, he said you watch your back because one day there's gonna be a bullet in it. And you know, in the way he says it, when I was younger, I thought he said you're gonna get a booger in your back. <laughs> it sounded like it. Um, he also left because Doc said um this gun can shoot the flea off your yeah back. The flea off a dog's oh but or something like that at like a hundred meters or something. Yeah, um, I, oh, I'd be scared. You know that. Yeah. You know he had a really long scope, and the rifle looked uh, pretty powerful. So I would not want to be shot by that. So Marty fills Doc in of um, you know everything that he knows. You know about the beloved Clara shows him the picture of the tombstone. You know when he gets shot and all this stuff. So uh, what do you think of Doc's uh, new? Garage or blacksmith lair? I don't know what you call it. His, his stable. I mean, it was it was pretty cool, but I'm just I'm curious as to like you know he had I don't I wouldn't say technology, but you know some pretty advanced stuff for that age and it, how nobody questioned it. Well, if you think about it, yeah, it um he built a, a pretty large refrigerator just to make one ice. Yeah, one uh, one ice cube. And uh, I, I could kind of believe it because it's so big because you're right, there are, there are no parts. You know, and if you think about it, over the years, these powerful parts, they get smaller and smaller, more powerful. So he stuck with, like, the prehistoric stuff, basically, you know, and that's why it looks the way it does. So I think it's still pretty um, pretty similar to, like, the, the stuff Doc had, like, you know, what we saw in Part 1. Everything looks homemade, right? Nothing looks that futuristic, at least I don't think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, la- later on we see, like, a, like a, a kitchen that, you know, kind of makes his breakfast, too. So we get the, the the little scene with the mayor says Clara is coming, and um, and Doc says, oh, "Oh well, they figure out that's who Clara is." You know this this teacher that Doc was supposed to go meet at the train station, and he's supposed to I don't know, show her around or something, or is he just supposed to pick her up? I I forget. I don't know, but I don't know why the blacksmith would beat someone to do that. Well, that's probably because he's uh, he's not just a blacksmith; he's like the local guy who uh no okay i was i was trying to think that maybe because he's so like uh, handy you know that that maybe you know she's a science teacher and stuff but i don't even think they knew that until later on anyway mm-hmm. so i you know he's maybe just a friendly guy and and offered to help question for you if clara went down the cliff and did event um unfortunately die and the ravine was called clayton ravine how is it that she fell in love with Doc if they would have never met? Um, what do you mean? How did she fall in love if they'd never met? So on Doc's tombstone, it said, um, in loving memory of Clara, right? Right. Um, but if Marty and Doc weren't there to save her, and she did die in the ravine, and then so they they would have never met. Well, with Doc being there, that that means they were already gonna meet. With what do, do you mean? So okay, so Doc is in eighteen eighty five, right? Okay. Everything that's happening with Doc in eighteen eighty five, we're not seeing. So anything he is doing while he's down there, he's changing what will come to the future. So the tombstone it shows that Doc got shot by by Buford, and Clara was already his love. He was supposed to go pick her up at the train station, which, if Marty doesn't go down there, he still does. So Doc is still there to go meet Clara. 
He just doesn't meet her at the ravine. You see? How does he... Okay, but how does that work? How does he meet her at the train station but not the ravine? Uh, are you asking, like, why is it called Clayton Ravine afterwards anyway? Yeah. There was probably nobody available to pick her up at the train station, so she ends up, uh, like, renting, you know, one of those stagecoaches or whatever. Oh, so the reason she died is because Doc wasn't there for her. Right. Okay, and so, so that's because Marty was there. Yeah, so the ravine is named Clayton Ravine because she ends up, you know, renting like a like a coach to you know t- to take all her stuff to her new home, right? Okay. So so that's that would have happened in the original story. Now the the next change is Doc goes to 1885. He picks her up. They meet. They fall in love, and he gets shot by Buford. Then it probably wouldn't have been called Clayton Ravine at all. It would have been Shonash. Shonash Ravine. And um, I, I guess with Marty A, he already remembers that old history. So it could have changed and he wouldn't have known. Kind of like everything changed uh, around him, but he still has like the old memories. Time trial is so confusing. It, it is, but if yeah, so does it kind of make sense? Am I answering it right? uh, a little bit? Yeah. So now that Marty is there, it, it kind of goes back to as if Doc doesn't pick her up, you know, which was the original history. So she was going to go off, and it would still be called Clayton Ravine. But if Marty and Doc went back to the future, it would have been shown as Ravine when they go back. Does that make sense? Yeah. Kind of like how it says Eastwood Ravine later on because, you know, he he went off of that. Okay. Okay. What was the main question out of that? The the ravine stuff or I don't or the even tombstone? Know. <laughs> okay. All right, so um okay, the so we talked a, a lot about Clara and and Emmett already. Did you notice that when they were trying to come up with ways to time travel, they obviously tried getting pulled by, I don't know, like 12 horses or something. Mm-hmm. And then Doc comes up with the idea about being pushed by a train. So they go over to the train station to look at a map. Did you notice a woman in purple in the background? Yes. Yeah. That was Clara. That was Clara. So I didn't notice that for the longest time, and I, I don't remember when I did find out. So it's uh, for those that never seen it before, when Doc and Marty are looking at the you know the, the ravine, and they're talking about you know Shonash Ravine. Well, they call it Cl- Cl- uh, Clayton Ravine, which I, I don't know why they didn't put two and two together uh, at first. But um, you see a woman in purple. She's standing you know at the train station just looking for someone to pick her up because Doc was supposed to meet her. Right, and she would have never seen him before. Mm-hmm. So they talk to the conductor and they find out that it is possible to push the car up to 90, uh, you know, as long as the, the coals are burning hot enough and all these things. So um, Doc meets Clara. We talked about that. He saves her from going off the cliff. I guess a snake spooked her horses. And uh, after Doc and Marty take her back to her place, Doc and Marty ride off. And then this is where they find out that they uh, changed history, you know, and this makes Doc even more upset that he has made this much much changes and decides that he needs to destroy the DeLorean. Do you think by saving her it was that big of a deal? No. But, you know, maybe because he's this man of science that he just didn't want to tamper it with that much. But, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't be so upset because she seems to be a very nice individual. You know, she's a teacher and all these things. Like, it, I, I don't think it could have affected anything in a bad way. I mean, but, but you it, never know. It's so long ago, like... You know, it's kind of like Doc Brown's death. It's it's premature. Like she shouldn't have died. Yeah, or should she have? Okay, if Doc wasn't in eighteen eighty five, 
if somebody else met up Clara, would she have died? Well, in the original timeline, nobody meets her up at all. So then she does ride a horse carriage, and then she dies. Yeah, that, that, and that's what I assume because I mean, that's that's why that's why she doesn't go off the ravine because Doc met her up and they fell in love there. You know, it doesn't matter what happened as long as they were gonna meet, they they would fall in love at first sight. Which is funny because I don't know if you caught in part two, Doc has mentioned that that was one of his, uh, you know, falling in love, understanding yeah, women. Yes. Yep. So, so we get that in this one. So we will jump to the uh, the social, um, the the Hill Valley dance that they have. So not allowed firearms, but Buford manages to sneak in a uh, small pistol. And what do you think about this? Where uh, Doc and Clara dance, which I found really cool. You know, didn't know Doc uh, can dance. Neither did Marty. The whole Frisbee thing and the confrontation between Tannen and Eastwood. I uh, I was curious. that The marshal, he had a boy next to him. Was that? That wasn't Strickland, was it? Hold on. No, he would have been be, like be 100, 100 years yeah, old. Oh, he'd be like 115 or something like that. It's probably Strickland's dad. Or... Probably Strickland's dad. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's, um, I always thought that was Strickland. But yeah, just now doing the math, that's 1885. And he's still yeah. <laughs> still a principal in 18... Yeah, well, he's bald by then. I mean, he did look pretty old. Yeah, he's bald by 1955. <laughs> yeah, pretty close. Um, I don't know. Is there is there much to, to take from this scene for you? Mm, not exactly. You know, it's just it's just a confrontation. Just putting another target on Eastwood's back rather than just Brown's. What do you think about the um the relationship building here with uh, Clara and and Doc Brown? Did you was it cute? I'm uh, I was actually about to say that, but then now that I think about it, you know, it's just it's weird. I wonder what the age difference is. And plus, like, okay, in the original timeline, let's see, let's say Doc is. How how do you, how old do you think Doc is? Uh, like sixty. Like sixty. You're going back a hundred years back to a woman who should be dead. That's a little. I don't know. It's, it's no. He's got to be older than sixty because, let's say he's sixty in 1985, 1955. That would put him at thirty. He did not look thirty then. So seventy. He looked like he was forty. Oh, I don't think he's seventy. Yeah, but but even thirty years. I mean, how old did he look in 1955? Definitely not. Not. Maybe thirty, definitely not thirty-five. I'm not too far, I'm not too far from thirty-five. I don't look nothing like that. It's like thirty-three. He, you think nineteen fifty-five? Doc is thirty-three. Yes, I didn't. He, I mean, he's old Almost enough. My age. He's old enough to live by himself, have all these experiments, and have like white hair and a bald spot. Well. I, I want to say at least 40. But, but if he's at least... I don't think he's 70 in 1985. Hmm. Well, that's why they did the whole, like, face re- rejuvenation thing in part two. But uh, I did find out, you know, in the first few episodes of the uh, animated series that Clara was, you know, at a, uh, in one timeline, she was at a certain age. And I did the math, and in 1885, it put her at, like, early 30s. Who? Clara. Oh. Because she, cause she, it's about the Browns and Marty in the animated series. And there was one timeline that they went back to where they ran into like a um an uncle of hers. And they mentioned like Clara. And then the uncle's like, no, can't be. She's like nine. And then, you know, obviously we, we find out what year they traveled to because that's 
that's what they do in every episode. They travel to another timeline. And so I did the math. I'm like, wait a minute. So 1985, that puts her at like 30 or something like that. So I was like, well, then how old is Doc? Because he's totally rocking the cradle. Yeah, but exactly. She does not look 30. Um, but th- that's the funny thing. Like, I, I, I feel bad, but she always looked older. But I, I don't know. I mean, she's pretty, but uh, I've always thought her to be older because of Doc. But uh, I'd be curious to find out how old Mary Steenburgen was, uh, you know, for during this movie. If Marty went into the future, shouldn't future Marty remember? What do you mean? So you got Marty A. All right, I think I'm gonna hang these numbers and I mean letters. Um, you got Marty A. going into the future with Marty B. Shouldn't Marty B. remember Marty A.'s adventure? Uh, well, Marty B. comes. No, Mar- Marty B. is behind. Behind, uh, behind the times. So Marty A is our main character right now. Yeah, but like Marty A, after having already done that, then you know Marty B should remember that, right? No, Marty B would be experiencing it later. He, oh, he's behind. Oh, okay. So we're 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 seeing the behind, but we so we don't get to see the after. Right. So before Marty goes to the future, would Marty B remember Marty's A adventure, going back to 1955? Uh, no, because. Because Marty B happens afterwards, he he himself has not experienced everything that Marty A has, so he shouldn't have those memories yet. So, which which timeline are you talking about right now? Like the 1885 stuff? Yeah, the 1985 stuff. 1985. 1985. In which part one or two? One, two, two. Part two. <laughs> so, okay, so in part two, that's that's Marty A. The only time we see Marty B is the one up on stage and goes back to the future at the end. No, Marty B in this case is 2015. In part 2. In part 2. No, that's that's the Marty anytime Marty A, it's it's the it's the main one. He's the one that did everything else first. The only time we ever see any Marty B's is the duplicate Marty. Well, okay, okay. So So like in part 2, the one wearing like the glasses and the hat that's that's Marty A prime Marty prime okay and so like when he looked at himself in the binoculars that guy he that's that's Marty B because mhm mhm because yeah he he won't know that he's looking at himself cuz he has not gone through that yet no no, no I'm t- okay so what what I'm trying to get at is old Marty you know in 2015 okay oh old Marty right old Marty. oh okay okay i see where you're going now oh okay yeah yeah would. Shouldn't that Marty remember everything that this uh, prime Marty has been doing? Okay, I'll tell I'll tell you something here. Back to the Future Two got a lot of things right, but they got a lot of things wrong. Okay, because if Marty A, let's, okay, let's call twenty fifteen Marty C. <laughs> okay. okay, Marty C. Forty seven year old Marty is Marty C. Marty A, who travels to twenty fifteen. In theory, Marty C shouldn't even exist until Marty A goes back to 1985. Because at that point, he's disappeared, right? Oh, yeah. So, so in theory, Marty C shouldn't be there, nor should there be any McFlies. Or Marty C should be there because 
because then, even if he disappeared, you know he goes back in time because it's already happened. But but you yeah, but you never know. So that that's the that's the weird thing about like traveling into the future because of things like that. So obviously there's gonna be a lot of plot holes. Okay. But does that make sense? I mean that's the way I look at it. Yeah, and that, I that makes it more that sense. Way. That makes more sense. Yeah. Okay. So Doc saves the day. Uh, no, Marty saves the day. You know, with the frisbee and. And now, now it's going to be Buford and and Marty that's going to show down on the on the day that they pl- actually plan to leave Monday at eight o'clock, I think it was. But um, I always thought that the one of the coolest images of Back to the Future Part Three is Doc and Marty in front of that clock tower. Yeah, I think that's a pretty cool photo. I actually have a, a copy of that photo. Um, it uh, it came along with the um, the Back to the Future the the oh gosh. The, the visual history book written by Michael uh, Clastern, uh, who also wrote an episode on Back to the Future, the animated series. I, I think he did two episodes, and he actually has a small um, role in here, too. Um, after Actually, it's, it's right after this, so we'll kind of segue into that. So Marty you know, and, and Buford, they set a time and date that they're going to you know duel. And uh, so the next day, Marty's walking around town. Everyone's greeting him you know, saying hello and all this stuff. The man that walks by and says, Good morning, Mr. Eastwood. That's that's the author of that book. And also the the writer on the two episodes of the animated series. So hopefully I can get an, uh, an interview with him coming up. The one thing I forgot to talk about during that social, what do you think about um, the scene where Marty is uh, playing that wild gunman? The Shooting everything? Yeah. Uh, I'd... It's a pretty good shot. <laughs> He's a really good shot, but I think... I don't know. He's. It was definitely played to be funny because yeah, shooting a real gun versus shooting a, like a, a gun with a like a laser, yeah. So yeah, it's completely different. So kudos to him to be able to shoot uh, those uh, pop up targets uh, really easy. Uh, he sh- should have joined the military. So we get to see uh, more of the relationship between Clara and Emmett. Uh, they obviously fall in love. And we still kind of have the issue with uh, Marty being called yellow. Now, when did you know? Okay, so the first time you watched this, you remember if you understood like the the slang, the expression of being called yellow or yellow belly. Scared. Scared. Well, it's it's basically a coward. Mm. Yellow or yellow belly. It's uh, it's, it's calling somebody a coward. So for a while, I was like, "What? What the heck is yellow?" You know, I I didn't know what that was at seven years old, obviously. And I was kind of wondered, like, you know, it's it's an old expression. I wondered, like, how did Marty know what that meant? Like for me, I felt like if I was a teenager going back to eighteen eighty five, and someone called me yellow, I'd take that as a as a slang. Like, wait, wait, <laughs> yeah, I'm Asian. You call me yellow, <laughs> you know, something like that. But um. I just thought that maybe a 17-year-old 17, 17 from 1985 wouldn't understand the meaning of yellow belly. Yeah. But, yeah, he still has an issue of being called that. So throughout the movie, you know, we kind of see that the things on the tombstone start changing. And, you know, we come to find that it may not be uh, Doc Brown's name that will be on there, but possibly Eastwood's. So they think that Marty could possibly get, get shot at this point. Because the tombstone still exists, it says still, you know, here lies the date's the same. Only the name has disappeared. So we get this. Um, w- one of my favorite scenes here. I I like every uh, version of this, but it's it's where we see like the like the the model set, you know, where they plan out the, the actual time travel. Um, do you have a favorite? Two. Part two. Part two. Which one was part two? 
where part one. <laughs> part I think one. it was only one and three, right? One and three. It was only one and three. I, I like part one because of Doc's <gasps> oh, when oh, the trash face. can lights on fire. Yeah, I uh, there's something to like about the the third one also because it looks like he used like actual pieces of the the ground and yeah, you know, uh, it's like a very nice model. Yeah, like an actual like a like a school model like you know a kid would make. Did you ever do any of those in school? Nope. Yeah, I think I did one like in elementary school. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. elementary school. We made milk carton houses. Yeah, we we should we should make one. Uh, I've always wanted to make my own Hill Valley. You're weird. Yeah, maybe one day <laughs> the Hill Valley Square. I mean, you like that. F- first model but that's like all white but yeah yeah i mean i got a bunch of deloreans i could drive up and down the streets yeah, <laughs> and delorean okay. city okay so let's go to uh doc breaking up with clara because marty knocked some sense into him right because uh, he because doc wanted to stay there mm-hmm. and you know which is not logical because you know you, this is not where you belong Though he goes back to 1985, there I don't think there's a whole lot there either because he wants to destroy the, the DeLorean. So, do you think Doc should have stayed, or do you think he should have gone? I think he should have stayed. Yeah, I I think I agree with you. Uh, it it was pr- probably better for him, except for we don't know what his fate would have been. Like, would he had died, you know, like with Clara? Well, obviously not with her, but like, not murdered by Buford. I guess is what I'm getting at. Yeah. Yeah, so I've always kind of wondered. So, Doc, he has his heartbreak. He goes to the saloon, stays there overnight. <laughs> Hadn't even drank one shot yet, but it seemed like he had been. And then, so he stays there overnight. Marty finds him there and uh, convinces him to go back to the future. They have this um, this funny joke. Well, not a funny joke, but the, the whole thing about... Doc uh, trying to reveal some things about the future and like those three old, you know, cowboys sitting at the table laughing at him and, and stuff, and uh, they're talking about running, running for fun and all that. Uh, did Did you think those old guys were funny at all? No, not really. They're kind of like old um, movie veterans, you know, that you know kind of played those type of roles and they've been in a lot of westerns. One of them's like Harry Carey. Uh, Harry Harry. No, Harry Carey. Uh, and one w- one of the guys, I guess he voices. He's a uh, like a voice actor too. You probably recognize him in like some of the old, older Disney movies, I-, I think. So let's talk about the the duel between uh, Buford and and Eastwood. Um, anything you like about this this showdown between the two? I like that part two foreshadowed um, the callback. A lot of stuff between for part three. For instance, you know, when Doc says, um, understanding women, and Marty uh, walking in on Biff and those two ladies in the hot tub, and they're watching the good, the bad, the ugly, and, you know, he uses that plate armor. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a lot of stuff that Marty s- saw from the past that he sees in the even more so past. Yeah, yeah, those are called callbacks, and there's a lot of those, which I uh, definitely appreciate in a movie about time travel. So yeah, we get to see um, get to see Marty use the the bulletproof vest, which yeah, you, you said it. You know, uh, I think it was a fistful of dollars is what Biff from oh, that's right. fistful yeah, of 1985 alternate 1985 was watching, and so he got the idea from that. You know, knocks out uh, Buford into a um, like a cart of manure. Mm-hmm. And he hates manure. He hates manure, just like uh, every other tannin. 
And so uh, Marty knocks him into the tombstone, breaks that. Now the tombstone no longer exists, which I found a little funny because, I mean, that that's fine. They're about to leave, so that works. But if they weren't going to leave that same day, I would have liked to see the pictures shift into like a different tombstone. Like he still could have died. But I get it. You know, it disappeared. Mm-hmm. Because to me, it, it, I felt like it only disappeared because Buford Tannen broke the tombstone. But that's, you know, he still could have died like prior to leaving. We don't know. Yeah. But I don't know. I, I guess that's just a little a little too much. I mean, that must be weird to look at your own tombstone. Yeah, I think so. Especially you know how you die by looking at it. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the description there. So we get the the entire uh, third act with um, the whole train scene. What do you th- what do you like about this? Uh, I thought the the logs that Doc put in the train were really weird. Like, what are they made out of? I don't know what they're made out of, but obviously each color has a certain type of like a like a tolerance for burning. Like the like the red one burns the, the fastest and and you know, uh, more powerful, I guess. Mm-hmm. And that is to, to help them just go faster. It's like taking like a shot of adrenaline, you know, each time and each one's just stronger and stronger. Oh, I've never taken a shot of adrenaline before. Well, I don't either, but you know, just from like movies and stuff. You, oh, yeah. Um, what'd you think about the conductor not recognizing Doc and Marty? Cause that's the same guy, right? That they asked. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So they asked the same, the, the conductor, can it go 90? What happens if there's no carts? And then a few days later, they hold him up, you know, with like bandanas covering <laughs> the face. Clearly, one young man and one old man. Like you didn't know it was that guy. So they said it was for a science experiment. So that was nice. They didn't say that it was for money or anything like that. Yeah, it's just like part one. So did you find this uh, tense at all? Like you know, Clara, you know, makes her way onto the train and tries to tell uh, Doc that she loves him, you know, and kind of convinces him to stay. I think that was stupid, just because. What her uh, getting yeah. on the train? She only want, she climbed on a high speed train and tell him that she loves him. Well, the thing was, you know, he really broke her heart, and she was on, you know, getting ready to leave Hill Valley just because of that. You know, like she she wasn't even gonna be like, you know what, forget Emmett, I'm gonna stay here and just do me. You know, she, they've she, only known each other for like a few days. Yeah, but you know, she's leaving like a career, you know, and all these stuff. Like, I mean, I know she can probably teach elsewhere. But that affected her that much that she decided to leave Hill Valley. Mm-hmm. And the only reason she went after him is because she heard a conversation between those two guys sitting behind her, you know, saying how heartbroken he looked. And so she, at that point, she realized that, oh, my God, he he really does love me, that, you know, maybe that wasn't BS after all, except for the whole time traveling thing. <laughs> so that's when she, you know, she finds the time traveling uh, uh, the toy, you know, inside his his uh, his fridge his his, his refrigerator fridge. lab his refrigerator lab <laughs> so um yeah so yeah she, so she makes her way on the train and obviously there's all these little things that build the tension that uh you know she might not make it but doc saves her by slipping on a hoverboard uh, i'm glad he didn't fall sideways or something you know it being his first time but um yeah huh <laughs> yeah so marty makes it over the ravine travels back to 1985 and we see that the ravine is now called Eastwood Ravine, which I don't know who was there to kind of to even tell. You know, like nobody was there to witness that, you know, because the Eastwood's body was never recovered from the ravine to name it after him, you know. So unless like Doc or Clara says, yeah, Eastwood went over the ravine, you just can't find him. I don't see how they uh, call or name it after Eastwood, right? Yeah. But Marty goes back to his house at the Atlanta States. Which, um, I don't know how much time has passed, 
uh, we obviously know for, like their timeline it's been like over a week or maybe even a couple weeks but in 1985 I wonder how long it's been because um, probably Biff, not even a day well Biff is wearing the same clothes he's still at the house <laughs> you know like is he still like waxing the, the trucks and stuff no oh, is he what's he still doing there because <laughs> remember like Marty goes back to the house to to get his truck to go pick up Jennifer and while he's about to get his truck uh, Biff jumps up from like behind the truck like hey what are you doing butthead you know and he's like Biff watch it and he's like oh Marty didn't recognize you 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 know like your clothes are you going as Eastwood you know I thought it was like Halloween or something because Halloween was coming up I like how um it's George's old bully just working as his personal slave but what is he still doing there is what I want to know. know. <laughs> so weird. So Marty takes a truck and goes to pick up Jennifer, who's still asleep uh, on her porch. Good thing, too. And I'm not sure where they were going at this point, but they're driving, and then they're right outside uh, Hilldale. You know, their feature house, and Marty kind of reveals that they will be living there. And then she was like, wait a minute, that wasn't a dream. So she pulls out the, you know, the, uh, the paper that says you're fired, and that doesn't disappear yet, right? I think it already has disappeared. No, I think that disappears after the the race with needles, which we see needles. Is that the first time we see needles? Second time, because we saw them in part I mean, two well, in yeah, the future. But, f- but 1985, yes. First time, time-wise. So you know how years go, 1985, 86, 87, 88, 89, 90. In chronological time, yes. Yes, okay. That's the first time we as viewers see him. But we, as far as the movies go, we see the 2015 version of him. Yeah, because in 2015, you know, we, Marty's like, needles. And then Jennifer's like, needles? Like, uh, we, I don't remember ever seeing needles before. No, and what I mentioned in that one is that what we learned from um, the Back to the Future comics, issue one, the first story is ta- uh, is called When Marty Met Emmett. In there, we find out that Needles and Marty go back since like middle school. Mm. I want to say when they're like 12 years old. So in part two, I feel that when, when um, Jennifer was like Needles, like she knew who it was. She's just like, wait, we're in the future. Needles is still around. That's kind of the way I took it. I never thought she was just like, who the hell is Needles? Mm-hmm. But yeah, so we see Needles here. He is weird. <laughs> He's almost acting like Griff from 2015. You know, just hyped up on like two Red Bulls or something. I don't know. <laughs> so he challenges Mar- Marty to a race, which uh, Marty reverses instead of goes forward. And he would have uh, driven straight into a Rolls Royce, which I think we mentioned in the in the second movie. And, um, and that's where Jennifer pulls out the paper and just sees that the You're Fired has disappeared. So So now... Now he can probably, you know, his hand isn't broken. He can probably play Power of Love better, you know, on the guitar. Mm-hmm. And uh, who knows? Maybe he's going to be a rock star now that his hand isn't broken. Mm. So they go back to the site where the DeLorean crashed, which I forgot to mention that, you know, when Marty arrived, the train uh, ran into it. Surprisingly, the train did not stop to see if everything was okay. <laughs> it just kept on going. And nobody was there to pick up, uh, you know, any of the, the pieces of the DeLorean. You know, like nobody <laughs> called the cops. So... While they are uh, looking at the wreck, Doc Brown shows up in his train. Now, what do you think about his train machine? Train, I thought it train. was like a 1885 Pimp My Ride. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a good way of putting <laughs> it. Yeah, it's a little too sleek. This is the kind of look that I don't like. You know, it does not look, you know... Um, homemade. Homemade or anything. Yeah, it looks like he, you know, went to like 2015 and built it, you know, and then went back to 1985. So... 
Yeah, how in the world did he make that in 1885? Yeah, they, I don't know. I mean, he didn't have a time machine, right? So he had to kind of wait. And 1.21 gigawatts. Well, you, you know, I, I'm sure after uh, the experiment in 1955, 1985, and then back to 55, I, I'm sure he's kind of learned a few things, you know, but think about it. Like, how how old do you think Jules is, which is the oldest one? Eight. Really? I, I want to say maybe he was like 12. I think they look like maybe 7 and 12 or 10 and 12 or something. I want to say like 8 and 5. Yeah. But let's just say... Let's let's just say he's ten years old, right? Okay. So eighteen ninety five that gives him maybe ten years to, you know, find a train and build it. I don't know. Yeah, that's that's kind of hard to imagine. Okay, so the one thing that I did not notice until like maybe two years ago, when uh, a, a friend of mine pointed this out, he actually sent me a GIF of this. So Doc is a uh, he is kind of. Is he bent over? He's sitting down, like, on his steps, talking to Marty, hands him the picture of the photograph of them in front of the clock tower. Ju- uh, Vern, the younger boy, I don't know if you noticed this, and I might have pointed it out to you before, but if you're not looking at it... His hand. His, his hand is gesturing to the camera. It looks like, come closer. And the camera does kind of zoom in, but then he points to his junk <laughs> right after that. So I didn't re- notice that for the longest time because obviously Doc is talking, handing Marty the photograph. So I'm not looking at the boy's hand. But if you look at it, he's like, come here, come here, come here, and come here. And face. Points. Yeah, it's just, it's really silly. And I can't believe they missed it and it's still on there. Like, I feel that's something they should, you know, try to kind of edit and post, you know, after all these years. But, you know, if, if you ever get, um, you know, an interview with someone who's really close with the movie, you could ask them about that. I'll try. You know, maybe uh, maybe I can email Cassine Gaines, uh, the author of the making of the Back to the Future trilogy. Or the actual actor. <laughs> Um, I can try to find the actor, but the but the author Cassine Gaines, I you know, which I interviewed previously, uh, look for that episode. It was a great um, interview. Maybe he might have some some ideas. But uh, I know he's like kind of touring right now. No, not quite touring, but he's making appearances at like comic cons on the East Coast. But I am curious, like, what the hell is that all about, and <laughs> how did that make it in there? But um, so that's basically it. The the train you know hovers and it takes off saying the end so the movie is concluded uh robert zemeckis has come out and says there will be no remakes or no part four over my dead body so if anything happens it will be possibly after he dies so what are your thoughts about part three and what would you rate it um well part three while it is a fun movie um it's eh, still like one and two better so i'm gonna have to give this a four stars okay that's still pretty darn good um, I'm going to give it a five. Again, it's all one big movie to me, one big saga. Uh, this definitely, you know, finishes up the movie. There's, you know, ties up like all the main threads, at least. I know there's still like questions, um, that people may have that I don't care about. Like who cares about Dave and Linda, you know, and all these things. But, uh, I am, I, I would love to see a continuation. You know, that's just the, the fan in me. Um, I will obviously reserve any opinions, um, on like possible directors or anything like that until it actually happens. Uh, but I am the type to be like, you know what? I'll give it a chance. Let me just see. Because it could be like one of those, uh, Star Wars things, mm-hmm. you know, where people are like, what are you talking about? There's only three movies. <laughs> Six. What are you talking about? Indiana Jones? Wait a minute. There's only three. What are you talking about? Four. You know, something like that. Yeah. So I will not disown uh, a part four until I see it and be like, nope, that's 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 crap. I will not call that part four. Mm-hmm. You know, it is not canon. So, 
Uh, yeah, so a 5 and a 4 for you. That's still pretty darn good for it being that way. Um, so just like the previous two episodes, uh, following this will be a conversation with uh, me, Emily, Megan Grace, and a third friend of theirs, Morgan, who joined in. So I kept on adding a new person to talk to from a future day when I went to go watch the uh, the triple feature. So uh, to hear more of me, I mean, who does, right? I mean, I don't know. It's, yeah. See. Okay. Yeah. So, but but if you're interested in checking out the Back to the Future the animated series podcast, you can find that on iTunes and Stitcher. Just type that in, uh, or you can go to barrenspace.com backslash bttf. I think we got about six or seven episodes on there, and we're gonna do them. You know, um, it's not a weekly show. We're just doing episodes as uh, as soon as we can. Obviously, uh, Albie and I we both have our own shows that we take care of. But it's definitely a side project that we both enjoy doing. And we also plan on covering the uh, the comics on there as well uh, by stories, not by issues. So uh, subscribe there to check that out. And I think after we're done with all of that, we talked about maybe reviewing the uh, the game. Because, you know, somebody's played the game and, like, the entire clip is on YouTube and it's, like, a couple hours long. So we thought that maybe we can review that because it's kind of animated. And because him and I are such big Back to the Future fans, we've also talked about possibly, um, after all of that, revisiting 1, 2, and 3 and reviewing each movie by chapters. So each episode will just be a chapter from from the movie. You know, like, the first chapter is probably... You know, the introduction of Marty in Doc's garage and just whenever that chapter ends. So that's how we're going to kind of extend that and kind of uh, review that a little bit more. I know with you reviewing these movies, we didn't go scene by scene. We kind of did with part one. Part two, you know, was kind of like that too. So this one I felt was a little bit more fluid. Uh, kinda, we got to jump around, which uh, I thought was kind of fun. So with Back to the Future, the anime series podcast, when we review that, that's going to be like super in-depth. Um, Albie and I, we've talked about asking questions that nobody's really thought about in certain scenes. You know, so I hope to do that and that will be fun. But that probably won't be for a while because of the, the, the pace that we're going. But that's one. Two, the other podcast that I do with Mike Denniston from War Machine vs. War Horse. He's been a, uh, a regular on this show as well. Him and I, we do original remake where we take a movie and its remake and we compare the two and tell you what to watch. That you can find on followingfilms.com along with other shows like Pop Culture Case Studies. I've already mentioned War Machine vs. War Horse, uh, True Bromance Film Podcast, and also Following Films Pod. The fourth and final podcast that I do is called We Got Five. That is under the CortemParts.com uh, podcast network. That is run by uh, Carly, who's been on this show before. Uh, she is the host of That Pop This Life and also Talking Shondaland. Uh, Devin, who's also been a, um, a guest on this show, him and I, we do a weekly podcast where every week we have a topic and we run down our five favorite of each topic with uh, this latest one called um, Baby Making Music. So these are... Uh, you know, the the episodes are explicit, so, you know, there's language in there. So, um, you know, that's kind of a disclaimer for those that are used to, you know, the father and son dynamic between you and I where there is no swearing, you know, more a family-oriented podcast. So that one's got some language, so be aware of that. And that one also you can find on CoreTempParts.com. We also have a Facebook group page called CoreTempParts Podcasts. So check that out, iTunes, Stitcher, and coming soon for all of our shows, 
We've um, submitted all of our shows to the Google Music Play. Is that what it's called? Do you know? Mm. Yeah. So that they're going to be um, launching, I, I want to say early next year, 2016, they're going to be launching podcasts on the, on there now. So Android users will have easier access to our content. So check all that out. Do you remember who, what the name is of the man who said if I had gone through puberty or not? Oh, yeah, that was Sanch over at the 88 Miles Per Hour podcast. That, that's who we were supposed to meet up when we went to California, but he got the weeks wrong. Sanch? Yeah, Sanch. Sanch. Ah, okay. Also, uh, if we made your head hurt by any of these timelines with Marty A, B, C, D, F, 1, 2, 3, 4. Um, to the third power. To the third power, whatever <laughs> it is. Cubed. If we made your head hurt from this episode, or um, if my voice did get deeper, Sanch, uh, email us at hlfpodcast at gmail.com. Um, find us at Twitter at uh, HLF Podcast, also Instagram. Um, look at you. I think that's the first time you've ever pimped out our email. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Uh, I think, the, I think yeah, I think you already covered all of those. Um, now, also, if you are not following our Facebook page, I post all of the episodes I feature on, my other podcasts. I post all of that on the Hydrate Level 4 Facebook page. I also made an announcement on there and Twitter that we have an addition to the Hydrate Level 4 team. We have Emily, who will be a backup co-host to you. So when you are unable to come on, her and I will do episodes as well. I wanted to uh, have someone that was a regular backup to you, so that way, you know, I didn't have to try to find like a like a new guest, you know, every week or something like that. Ah, uh, sure, just use my sister. Right, because you know she's probably got a curfew and such too. Um, but no, that's harder to, to do. But uh, with Emily, you know, she she lives in town. You know, uh, if you've been listening to our Back to the Future reviews, she is the Emily that I've been talking to about these movies with uh, when I was at the movie theater. So uh, expect to hear more of her on some episodes. And also, what's nice is she's a few years older than you, so. So um, she's 20, so she'll be able to kind of bring the a similar concept where a lot of the movies that we'll do she has not seen. But this also opens up movies like, you know, rated R movies that I probably wouldn't have watched with you. You know, for example, like the American Pie movies. You know, that's something that I probably wouldn't review with you just because of, like, the, the nature of the content of the movie. Uh, movies. Because there's, like, well, there's, I don't know, there's, like, ten of them. Well, not quite that many, but it'll be a way for me to be able to do these rated R movies that have, like, explicit content that, you know, I wouldn't have been reviewing with you anyway. You know, so uh, just to kind of expand on, on those type of movies. But yeah, expect to hear her coming up on some of the episodes. I think the first movie she wanted to do was her favorite movie, Night at the Roxbury. Never heard of it. Yeah, it's a it's Will Ferrell and Chris Kattan. You know, they were uh, it's it's actually a movie based on characters that they did on SNL together. I, I take that back. I have heard of it. Yeah, you know, it's a uh, What Is Love, yeah. Baby? Mm-hmm. Don't hurt. Yeah, so mm-hmm. those guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's her favorite movie, and we haven't set a date for that yet. Uh, you and I, we've discussed. You know, some movies that we um, obviously want to do. We want to kind of get get to doing some of these uh, listener requests that we've had. Um, so we'll probably do some of those. And I think I know we we settled on a next movie. We just don't know when we're going to do that yet. But again, follow us on Twitter or like the Facebook page to get all of those updates. Um, unless you subscribe and you'll just see them pop up on your on your phone or however you listen to it. But until the next episode, I'm Peter. I'm Phoenix. And this is Hydrate Level 4. 
Okay, so we all just got out of part three, and um, you know, I had three people, so it just seemed a little fitting. Uh, all three of them was also their first time viewing the movie. So now joining us is Morgan. Morgan, what was your initial thoughts of part three? Um, I liked it. It wasn't. I didn't like it as much as the part one, but but, but I did like it. Yeah. Yeah. It was a good conclusion. Yeah. And Emily, what about you? I'm gonna have to agree with him. The first and second one are a little bit better. Yeah, it's it's definitely Doc's movie, so it's a little bit different. Megan. Megan Grace. Yeah. Okay. Too many plot holes <laughs> for me in this one. I mean, it was good, but um, I felt like the logic to get them back to the future was a little bit f- more flawed than it was in the first and second ones. Like, I could think of better solutions, I think, of, you know, getting the time machine to work. So, or, you know, it was a little convoluted for me. Yeah, it's definitely not a perfect movie, not yeah. as perfect as part one, yeah. you know, um, but I think that's because, you know, it came out in 89 and 90, and, um, you know, this is kind of the model for a lot of the uh, time-traveling movies afterwards. Did you guys catch, like, any, okay, so I think you guys all saw the Eastwood Ravine at the end, right? Mm-hmm. Did you guys see any other cool, like, uh, Easter eggs in the movie? Uh- I did not. I felt like I saw some. There was a lot of a lot of like throwback, at least cliches to old westerns. You know, like things that you see in every western that like just have to be there. Um, like you know, the fighting in the saloon. You know, the calling you out, that kind of thing. You know. What did you guys think about giving Marty that uh, that um, little characteristic, starting with part two, mm-hmm. where he was being called a chicken? Because he that didn't happen in part one. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I I thought it was interesting, and I thought it was a little bit better done in part two, but I didn't particularly like it in part three. I felt like it's almost undermined him as a character. Um, I thought it made his resolve a little bit weaker, I thought. Yeah, so do you guys remember when they were looking at the map, and they were calling it Clayton Ravine, but it said Shonish uh, Ravine? Uh, one of my favorite Easter eggs is if you look in the uh, foreground, the foreground is that right, or is it background? The background. Yeah, if you look in the background, Clara is standing there at the dock waiting for her dock really, to pick I mean, her up. I felt like when I saw her, I felt like I had seen her at some point in time. I was like, was she in the second one? Like, because you know, you see a lot of the same characters coming back as different characters or whatever. So I was like, did I see her before? Because she looked familiar. So I probably noticed, but without noticing, you know. Yeah, she ha- she wasn't in the previous ones, but you see her back. You see that same dress she's wearing, and she's just standing there looking because Doc was supposed to pick her up, but he he didn't. There was a moment where he had picked up a picture, and it had a picture of Doc and him in the photograph um, earlier in the movie, and then later he picked up a different photograph, and it was just the Doc. I did notice that. So it was like waiting for them to take that picture when he was finally in the Wild West, you know, and they did, so... Yeah, what do you guys think about um, uh, Buford Tan in this one? Uh, Buford Mad Dog. Oh, oh, he was he, he was weird. I didn't. <laughs> I liked him, but he's a little weird. Yeah. He's, he's a weird it was character. like a. I feel like it was like kind of like a caricature of all of his other appearances in the other. Um, movies so i actually liked him so much better than the i thought the first two he was so annoying particularly the older guy he was really really obnoxious but i kind of liked you know the references to the old style you know villains i enjoyed that i thought it was at least that caricature was a lot better than the old man you know being obnoxious i thought i don't know i thought it was a lot better characterization than i just feel like it was like a bunch of it put into one that's Mm -hmm. why i'm like identifying it as like a caricature because yeah, no. it's really 
dramatic. I, I think they try to go back to the com- comedy, obviously, yeah. you know, because two was just so dark. But so do you guys all agree that Buford is probably the best Hannon? Yeah, I think so. I didn't particularly care for the first two, although I did like the first movie better. I like this villain better. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so rate the movies uh, in order of best to least. One, two, three. Uh, two, one, three. One, two, three. Okay. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks for getting